God of grace, God of mercy. Oh, how we love the Lord. Let's give the Lord some praise in this place. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 We serve an awesome God. And um, um, we want to welcome all of our visitors this morning. We are so excited that you are here and we are glad to have you in the house. Let's let our visitors know how much we love and appreciate them. <laughs> amen and amen. Um, I want to say this morning uh, before we get started, uh, so many of you here at Crossroads have come up to me and said you are glad that I'm here. <clears throat> and I want to say to Crossroads that my wife and I are glad we are here. We are glad that we were able to find a place like Crossroads to come and worship, and we appreciate your embrace and acceptance of us. And so many of you extend that to us. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart. And then uh, the second thing I'd like to say uh, this morning is, you know, um, getting up here is not easy, as you hear from pastor all the time, but it's made even more difficult for me that I have to come after a man who handles the word of God so skillfully. Uh, it is really intimidating. And so <clears throat> I'm going to be uh, coming from the subject this morning called uh, Enduring the Process, Endure the Process. And uh, as I think about my own life um, and that I know that I'm in the midst of God's process right now, <clears throat> and part of his process is me being here at Crossroads. And, and whenever you're in the midst of God's process, you have to constantly be in communication with God and say, Lord, I don't want to miss or what it is that you have for me to learn or to do while I am in your process. And so, Crossroads, I want to say to you this morning that me being here at Crossroads is not only a part of my process, uh, but it's a part of your process as well. And so you need to ask yourself uh, what it is that God has for us uh, to learn and to glean for him as we go through this process together. Um, we want to give God praise and thanks for the men and the, and, the, and the pastor that was just released who were out doing God's uh, work, that they had been incarcerated for three years. And I'm sure in those three years of incarceration, uh, those men understand they were in God's process. And we never know where God's process is going to take and lead us, and we're going to get uh, through that and discover that this morning. Then the, the last thing I want to say, because you always want to do things decently and in order, but if this thing runs long, and it probably will, the Spirit has its way, uh, and you have a, a, a child in our Sunday school or in our daycare, please um, don't hesitate to go get them, okay? Thank you. Let us pray. Most gracious and all-wise God, we come this morning truly Lord, with a heart full of thanks. We are thankful that you woke us up out of our sleep and slumber and we were able uh, to make it to your house of prayer and to be able uh, to worship, uh, worship and praise your holy name and to lift your son Jesus um, that somebody who is not saved uh, might recognize the calling and come and answer the question uh, as God calls them out of sin into his marvelous light. 
And Father, as I stand in this sacred place to deliver uh, that sacred and holy word, I pray, oh God, that you uh, allow me to decrease and you increase and step forward and use this, your servant, that he might speak the words from on high. Give those who are in the waiting congregation listening ears and receiving hearts this morning that they might know that they have heard from heaven. And so, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations, I mean, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be found pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. Oh, my Lord, my strength and redeemer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We will be reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 13. You can read it on the big screen or... Your, your electronic device or Bible. And it reads, when they arrived, Samuel took a look at Eliabet and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see the things the way you see things. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadad to step forward and to walk in front of Samuel. Uh, but Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemeth. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. And in the same way, all seven of Jesse's son, sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel asked, are these all of, your, all of the sons you have? There is still the youngest. Jesse replied, but he is out in the field watching sheep and goats. Send for him at once, said Samuel, and we will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. And so David stood there among his brothers and Samuel took the flask of oil that he had brought, with, brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came, upon, came powerfully upon David from that day on. And Samuel returned to Ramoth. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. I'm going to talk, teach, and preach from the subject, endure the process. The backstory of the text is this. A king, Saul, was destined to be removed as the king of Israel God's, by God's judgment. But the work of God among the Israelites upon the earth was to continue. And to carry on that work, God had chosen a young boy who had a heart after God's own heart. God told Samuel the prophet that he had a mission for him and his mission was go and anoint the new and the future king of Israel. And this was a specific reference to David. God had created and carved out a destiny for David and he has created and carved out a destiny for each one of us. But there is a process. 
that he has allowed into our lives so that we can ultimately end up in the place that God has designed for us. If we surrender our will to his will, in this process there will be difficult times. There will be times of struggle, hardship, times of heartbreak, but we must endure the process knowing that the Lord is with us and he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is working out everything for the good of those who are called according to his name and his purpose. Jeremiah 29 and 11 reminds us of what the Lord says. For I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I'm going to read that again for you. Uh, The Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God moved events so that David could learn how to fulfill his task up on earth and walk in his destiny. The lesson will be clear to us We will see that God is sovereign. He rules and reigns over the earth. He and he alone is God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, who stands over every creature in the universe, both in heaven and on earth. He is God and God alone, and because of who he is, and he has the power, like he did for David, to move events in order to help us And we need his help. And we need his power. No matter what our needs are, no matter how small or how great, God will meet them. He is sovereign. He is looking after us every step of our lives. And he will care for us if we simply trust him. There is a process in life. And it, that process is in, 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 in place even in nature as well as humanity. And we must learn to endure that process because it is through God and his infinite wisdom that he has created the process to help us walk out our destiny in this life and to build our faith. Let me give you some examples out of nature. Pure iron is a soft, grayish white material. And although iron is one of the most common uh, elements in, in the earth, pure iron is almost never found in nature. Most iron are found in minerals formed by a combination of irons with other elements. But to, come, to become steel, it must go through a process. Everybody say process. Everybody say process. Process. Thank you. I need to know you're going to be with me this morning. Iron ore is then converted into various types of iron through several processes. The most common process used to transform iron is a blast furnace. It melts down the iron and then the iron is hardened and strengthened and further refinements are used to make it steel it must go through a process. We go through a process of transformation when the Holy Spirit enters into our lives. We become strengthened. 
It's a process. Gold. I'm assuming that you know that gold is not made, it's found. I once was lost, but now I'm found. It is an ore found in rocks. Gold is, a, is mined and purified after it is dug up out of the earth. How many of you know we're from the earth? But it must undergo a process, a process. Anybody in here woke this morning? Let's say process. Come on, stay with me, y'all. I'm going somewhere. The next stage is called smelting. The gold is heated up in the furnace with silicon, borax, and soda, which soaks up most of the impurities, forming a slag, and it rises to the top, and the heavier gold falls to the bottom. But in order to be purified, it has to go through one more process. That process is called electrolysis. And when it goes through electrolysis, it then receives the stamp that it is 99.9% pure gold. It goes through a process. Uh, the one that uh, fascinated me the most, I was watching a nature channel on TV as my wife was snoozing uh, in her chair because uh, she doesn't like them like I do. But I was fascinated by the Arctic woolly bear caterpillar. Yeah, and that's him right there up on the screen. This is an amazing creature. This animal, a creature, is most noted for his stop and go life. Um, this caterpillar takes about seven years to build up enough resources to finally pupate into an adult moth. He spends most of his time uh, just sitting around and waiting. And when I thought about this caterpillar in context to us, I thought, how many of us as believers live a stop-and-go existence? How many times that we're on fire for the Lord and something comes up in our life and we quit on the Lord? Most of us will just sit around and wait for something miraculous to happen and fall out of the sky before we do anything to help ourselves. See, we're a lot like the Arctic woolly bear caterpillar. This caterpillar lives its whole life in the far north around the Arctic and where you know it's cold. And this, this caterpillar literally freezes and falls out in the summer. Uh, for, the short, for the short time that the summer exists. And over its lifetime, it will freeze and fall seven times. The Arctic woolly bear caterpillar spends most of its life actually frozen. How many of us have been frozen in a place and a position in our life because of something that has happened to us? And so, because it needs to warm up its body temperature, his body goes through a chemical process. And when his body heats up, it then enables him to move around and to feed. And the, 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 the caterpillar has to feed in a short summer, and what happens is he can't eat enough to be able to then transform himself into a moth. He doesn't have enough resources. See, some of us aren't growing because we are not eating enough on God's word. 
And that's why we can't grow and we can't move and to grow into the full adult Christian that God has called us to be because we don't have enough word in us. And so after seven years, this caterpillar, caterpillar finally builds up enough resources in his final summer. And in just two weeks, he turns from a caterpillar to a moth. Say process. Thank you. And in the Bible, there are biblical personalities that had to go through a process. And this process was designed by God that they might be them, their best self and to grow their faith so that they might be able to walk into the destiny that God has created for them. Abraham was one of those such, that personality. See, Abraham demonstrated an amount, a remarkable amount of faith when he moved, when God, and trusted God, when God told him to leave his home and his family and go to an unknown territory of Canaan, and, and with him went his wife and his nephew Lot. And when Abraham finally reached uh, the, the land that God told him to go, and it was full of pagans in that land, Abraham became a prosperous rancher. And, and, and he was doing really good. And all of the sudden, uh, uh, Abraham, while he was there, all he had to do, Brother Steve, was to obey God and to do what God told him to do. Uh, but see, guess what? While he was there and he was prospering, all of a sudden, a famine came to the land. And instead of Abraham waiting on God to provide provisions, he packed up his family and he moved them to Egypt. All the problems were just getting ready to get started. Uh, he was disobedient to God. And so once he got over in Egypt, there was a Pharaoh who found his wife to be favorable and good looking. And he said to Abraham, who was that woman with you? And Abraham says, instead of that's my wife, he said, that's my sister. Pharaoh then exchanges gifts for Abraham's wife. Isn't it ironic that Abraham was willing to honor Pharaoh and dishonor his wife and his God? But see, God had him in a process. And so here it is that God never gave up on Abraham because he knew the process he had David in, I mean, uh, Abraham in. And so once again, Abraham loses faith in God's protections and his provision and the foolish deception backfires. But God fixed it to where his wife was eventually returned to him. But Abraham was in a process. God had visited Abraham when he was about 75 years old. And he said, I'm going to bless you with a son and he will be an offspring of a great nation. And so several years went by and now Abraham and, and, and uh, Sarah are in their 90s, 99 years old. And they still haven't had the promised son of God. And so they got tired and impatient and tired of waiting up on God because they were still childless. Their faith wavered. They didn't realize that they were merely in the process of testing that Abraham's wife goes to him and said, why don't you sleep with Hagar, my maidservant? And he did. And, they, and she gave birth to their son, Ishmael. But he was not the promised son of God. So a year later, Isaac is born the promised son of God. Abraham had been through the process, and now watch this. God goes to Abraham and brings him one more test. He said, I want you to take your son Isaac, your one son and your only son and whom you love, and I want you to take him to a mountain where I tell you and I want you to sacrifice him there. 
And so now Abraham coming out of God's process takes his son and he begins to talk and use words of faith. He says, I trust in the Lord. He said, in fact, I'm going to take my son and even if I'm forced to kill him, God will resurrect him from the dead, although he's never seen or heard of anything being resurrected from the dead. His faith had now grown and he could trust God completely. You know the rest of the story. He took him up on the mountain, laid him on the altar, raised the hand to slave, and God said, no, don't slay your son and provided a ram for a suitable substitute. Are you with me? And see, there was somebody else in the Bible who went through a process. There were three Hebrew boys. They were captured and taken into Babylon, a kingdom that was not friendly to God and his ways. These three men had backbones of steel. They were faithful men of God. They would not bend, bow, or burn. We will watch them as the story un unfolds, them uh, endure the furnace of affliction. And we will learn some lessons from the fiery furnace. As they were persecuted because of their stance, that they refused King Nebuchadnezzar's request or demand that they were to worship a false god, more likely he had set up an image of himself that their faith in God would not allow them to stoop to the level of the pagans around them. Let me read some scripture for you. Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 through 23. Because Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not obey the king's order, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted with anger. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the fiery furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king of the king's anger, he demand, demanded such a hot fire in the furnace that the men who threw them in the furnace uh, were burned up. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell in the furnace of the roaring fire, as we as believers should, should have and understand that we have a standard of living that is different from the world. The believer should have a walk that is totally submitted to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we become totally sold out to him and his will, and he has first place in our lives, we can endure the furnaces of life. Watch Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's statement to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, watch this, the God we serve is able to save us. But watch their faith. He will rescue us from your power, majesty, but watch this. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. If we are going to live in this world for Jesus, we must be willing to endure furnaces.
I think it to be interesting, uh, brother, that when the, the, the three, three, three Hebrew men came out of the fire, folk was amazed that they didn't even smell like smoke. Let me help you with that. In other words, they didn't look like what they had just been through. People of faith who struggle and have difficult times, people are often amazed because it doesn't look like they're stressed out in the midst of their trouble. We don't look like what we've been through. If we are going to be his and his alone, we must be willing to go through the process. If we refuse, we refuse to let the world squeeze us into its mold. If you and I are going to live godly, if we are going to live for Jesus, there will be furnaces of criticism, furnaces of intimidation, furnaces of hatred, furnaces of temptation. There will be furnaces and trials that you cannot even imagine. The furnaces in life are no fun, but they are a necessary part of the process. I skipped this one in the first service, but I'm going to give it to you this time. Daniel, a prophet of the true and the living God, defiled another king's decree, Darius, that they should pray to the Persian king for 30 days. And David was an other, otherwise a law-abiding man. But he continued to pray to, the, to Israel's God, as he had always done. See, evil men had persuaded the king to come up with the decree in the first place because they were jealous of him. How many of you ever got any haters? Always trying to set you up. And so here it is. They go to the king and they say, uh, guess what? Dave, Daniel ain't, 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 ain't worshiping uh, like you told him to. And be, the king became greatly distressed. He had to punish Daniel. And so he says, he said, bring the boy here. Bring him to him. And then he says, uh, Daniel, uh, you really leave me no recourse but to throw you in the lion's den. Because if you disobey my decree, who else going to do it? But he says this because he knows who Daniel's God is. He says this to Daniel. May the God in whom you serve continually rescue you. Oh, these folk don't know what to shout about. <laughs> and, and God indeed rescues Daniel. He sends angels into the lion's den to shut the mouth of the lions and bring no harm to Daniel. But guess what Daniel had to do? He had to endure a night in the lion's den. He had to endure the process, but God kept him. All right, now I'm going to deal with the text today. King David lived a roller coaster life. It was full of highs and lows. See, David did a lot of things in the Bible that he was famous for. Uh, he did rise from humble beginnings to become king. He did create uh, uh, two nations uh, that, that served God. He did make Jerusalem the inaugural capital and the center of the world of religion. The Bible does a remarkable job making it seem natural that David should gain the throne, even though David did nothing himself to gain it. Uh, David, against all odds, uh, would, 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 would ascend into the throne. 
See, what, what David didn't understand at the time, see, David was a complete nobody. He lived in a backwater town from a backwater province, and, and more importantly, he had no royal lineage in him, and yet he was going nowhere, and he was going there in a hurry. He was in a dead-end job that nobody wanted. He was a shepherd boy, and, his, and he was the baby in his family and got no respect from his seven brothers or his daddy. And yet when God was looking for the future king, he sent, and got, uh, sent Samuel to anoint David even though he was only a 15-year-old boy. Say process. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his face or his height or his body, for I have not chosen him. Men judge outward looks, but God looks at the heart. As David was a young boy, saw Samuel calls him in and he anoints him and he says, you are the chosen and the future king of Israel. Now, I want you to notice something that isn't in the text. After he was anointed to be the future king of Israel, his daddy didn't take him to a boarding school that would prepare him to be king. David went right back out to tending sheep and be a shepherd's boy. Oh, I wish I had some help in here. After his anointing, David goes back to his menial job and task as a shepherd. David's drive as a shepherd boy was his relationship with God. And with this relationship and in the pursuit of a relationship with God, that it was literally the driving force behind David's life was his attachment to God. See, David allowed himself to go through God's process even when he didn't understand it. I feel my help coming. David grew up to be strong and brave and not afraid of wild beasts who prowled around to try to steal his sheep. Uh, more than once, he had fought against lions and bears who tried to come and to seize his sheep. David was alone all day long, practicing with his, his slingshot uh, with stone, and he got so good at it, he knew that the moment he released it, it would go right to the place he intended it to go. Or he was in the process. But David had no idea what was going on in the king's palace. See, David didn't know that Saul was being judged by God because he disobeyed what God told him to do and God's spirit had left him. In fact, King Saul was sad in his heart and often got depressed and at times seemed to be a mad man. He was always unhappy. One of the servants noticed that when somebody played the harp and sang music that it made Saul feel better. And so Saul said, go find me somebody who knows how to play an instrument. Find him and bring him to me so that I might listen to his music. And, and so a servant speaks up and he says to the king, I've seen and heard of a young man who is the son of Jesse in Bethlehem who can play well. He's handsome to look at and he's agreeable to talk to and he's a brave young man. But, and I've heard that he can fight well. But most importantly, what I know about him is the Lord is with him. And so here it is that then Saul says, send a message to Jesse to send his baby boy David to the palace. And so Jesse sends his son to King Saul. 
And King Saul looks at David and said, "Uh uh-huh, I like him. In fact, the scripture says he loved him and everybody else loved him too. And so David begins to play his harp and sing before King Saul. Saul loved him and and the spirit, the sad spirit left him. And so then he gave David a job in the council. He became part of the royal court. In fact, he got an official title called an armor bearer where he carried the, the shield and the spear of Saul before the armies when they would go into battle. David was going through the process. And so here it is. David had not been introduced to this point in the scriptures as a military man. But by the time we get to chapter 17, we will see a new introduction of David like never before in scripture. David, unlike his three brothers, was not drafted into the king's army. He was still tending sheep. And then uh, uh, times was getting hard uh, for the Israelites that they were fighting against the Philistines. And so because David had now gone through the process, he was about to face the biggest giant in his life. He had fought lions and bears and killed them. He had been disrespected by his brothers and his daddy. He was going through the process. He didn't know that he was getting ready to face the biggest giant in his life. In fact, for him, it was quite by accident, but of God's providence. I wish I had some help in here. Let me take you to the scriptures in verse 17 of chapter 17. Read it when you get home. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captains. He says, show your brothers, um, see how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report to me on how they're doing. David's brothers were with Saul in the Israelite army. In, in the valley of Hinnom, fighting against Elam, fighting against, against the Philistines. David gets there with the supplies. He delivers them to his, his siblings. He finds out that they have been under verbal attack for 40 days by Goliath. He has been tormenting and taunting Israelites' army, and all of the men were afraid. As the scene unfolds, we see David is naive and sometimes optimistic optimistic and sometimes heroic. And so he finally, David goes over to the king and he says, I'm willing to fight this giant. And the king looked at him and he was befuddled in his mind with, and with dismay because he said, you're merely a boy and you want to fight this nine foot giant? And David had to argue that God who had saved him from ferocious animals would save him against Goliath. And so Saul said, okay, all right, boy, go on and fight him. He said, and and may your Lord be with you. We have to mention that Saul offered David his armor. And David said, no, I don't need that. I got the Lord on my side. And so he's going to fight Goliath with lighter weaponry than Saul had ever seen or used before. I'm in the scriptures. I'm in verse 40 and 17. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream and he put them into his shepherd bag and then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling. He starts across the valley of the Philistines to face Goliath. 
Goliath walks out at the same time and sees David coming. And he says, in verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him. And you could, when you read the scriptures, you're going to see how impressive the weapons were that Goliath had. And sneering at this ruddy-faced boy, he says to him, am I a dog? He roared at David. You come to fight me with a stick? And he began to curse David by the names of his God. He said, come over here, David, and I will give your flesh to the bird and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied to the Philistines, oh, you better be having your, your spiritual ears on, church. David replied to the Philistine. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. Watch this. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army. Oh, I, all church folk don't know what to shout about. He's about ready to fight the biggest giant in his life. And all he has to fight with is the Lord. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord. He says, here it is. I'm facing the biggest giant of my life. And he says, I'm going to fight you giant in the name of the Lord. And as we continue the text in chapter, I mean, verse 46, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut your head off. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And watch this in the text. He says, and the whole world will know there is a God. Oh, I wish I had some church folk in here. How many of you know that when you come and defeat the largest giant in your life and you do it with your faith, you will be saying to your community in the world, there is a God in heaven. And so here it is. He says, Daniel, in verse 47. He said, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. Watch this. But not with the, with the sword and the, and the spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. If you let the Lord battle for you and fight your battles... We can say to whatever giant is in our life, this isn't my battle, it's the Lord. And he will take care of you. Mm, hallelujah. I wish I had some church folk in here this morning. And so here it is. David takes his stone, puts it in his slingshot, starts whirling it around his head, and he lets it go. And it hits Goliath right in the spot that's going to take him to the ground and kill him. And it wasn't David's rock sling. It was the Lord who defeated Goliath in his life. So after some time, come on up here. Uh, was Josh and my man. At some time after the battle, after the defeat of Goliath, David returns to Bethlehem 
and he finds himself in a familiar position, back with his sheep. And as he is looking out into the field at his sheep and how he used to care for them, his mind began to reminisce over the things he had gone through in his life and how God had been with him every step of the way. And so David sits down and he begins to sing a brand new song. When I give you the words of this song, you will find it very familiar. David began to sing this song. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me by the still waters. He restoreth my soul and he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valleys at the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life as I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David endured God's process and he came out the other end. Faith built up. Able to face the largest giant in his life. And he faced that, that giant with his faith. He began, Pastor, to make declarations <laughs> that I'm not in this battle and this struggle by myself. I'm walking with the Lord. David knew that the Lord would never leave him nor forsake him to fight and defeat his giants all by himself. And he began, I wish we could go to get a hold of this. He began to declare the word of God over his circumstances and kill that giant. See, some of us ain't been fighting with the wrong stuff. We've been trying to fight it all by ourselves. And what you didn't know, God had you in the process. And church, sometime that process will take you to the hospital. Sometime that process will take you to the morgue. Sometime that process will take you to a treatment center to be rehabilitated. Sometimes that process might take you before a judge and a magistrate. 
But God has your back and willing to carry you through the process so you can end up in the place he's destined for your life to be. You got to endure it, though, with the faith of David.